Howdy and welcome to the 10-week Bible study. This is week six, day four of our study of Acts. I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and today we're talking about Acts 16, 16 through 40. Welcome back to the 10-week Bible study. Again, I'm your host, Darren Hibbs. Before we get started, I want to encourage you to remember to read Acts 10 times in these next 10 weeks. Reading it once a week really will transform your life in God and your encounter with his scripture. Let's go ahead and pray before we start today. Lord, would you open our eyes and our ears to hear what your word has to say to us. Speak to us and fill our hearts with the knowledge of you. We want to know you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With that, let's jump into God's word to be reading today from the NIV. This is Acts 16, starting in verse 16. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command that you come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. Now, people have read this and wondered, well, why is this bothering Paul? Why is, I mean, this demonic spirit is going around and proclaiming the truth. Spirit's telling the truth. So why is this a problem? And it's not entirely clear why this bothered Paul. Maybe what we can't see is the intonation. We can't see the tone that this this person is saying this in, right? Could have been that the person is just walking around saying, these people are telling you the way to way to God. They know, you know, they know the, you know, God, they're gonna, they're they're telling you, you know, the way to be saved, and just kind of muttering that everywhere they go. And also you could read it saying, you know, the the woman might be going around saying, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved, right? She'd be doing it very sarcastically, very irritatingly, kind of uh, mocking them, if you will. There's a lot of different ways you can read this. However she was saying it, it, it didn't bother Paul so much at first that he did anything about it. But after several days, he's like, stop. And he, I mean, he, addresses the demon directly and is essentially stop it come out of her he's so irritated with this demon that he casts a demon out of her now this woman is not she's not a charlatan this is not some kind of fake fortune telling this is for real this demon is actually you know telling people's fortune actually demonically prophesying let's say it like that to these people. And it's for real. Like this demon can tell people secrets that they didn't think anybody else knew and tell them, you know, decisions to make or different things like that. <clears throat> and so the she's a slave. And so her slave owners are using this to their advantage. They're just using her to make tons and tons of money. Right. And so this is, this is a big problem. Verse 19. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. What is it that they're 
advocating that's unlawful, right? I mean, you've got this demon that's that's demonically prophesying to people, and that's lawful for you to practice, but getting free of demonic bondage is not lawful. I mean, again, we know their motivation. They're just angry that Paul and Silas have essentially taken away their cash cow. This woman was making them a lot of money. They didn't even have to pay her. They just had to feed her and clothe her. And, and so they're, they're upset about this for all of the wrong reasons. But, and, and so then they're, they're making stuff up because they, they can't come to the magistrate and say, um, we had a really good thing going and um, this woman was demonically oppressed and, and probably didn't enjoy it. But, uh, and Paul and Silas freed her from it and were angry about that. And the magistrate's going to be like, I don't see the problem here. I actually want to meet Paul and Silas so they can get some of my crazy family members free of demons, right? I mean, they 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 make sure that they essentially lie about this and couch it in such a way where where they're absolving themselves from actually being being the wrongdoers here. Verse twenty two: The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. All right, they were not given a trial or defense or any of that kind of stuff. They're just like, oh, you know, it's like the Romans are like, oh my goodness, just just flog them and throw them in jail. Get like, Just end this, right? Just make this stop. I, I'm, we're not going to deal with this. Just beat them, give them what they want and, and put them in jail. We'll, we'll figure this out later. Verse 24. When he received the orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Isn't that amazing that they're in there, right? And this is a terrible situation. It's pitch black, and they're praying, and they're praising the Lord. They're, they're, they're singing worship music to the Lord in, in, in such a, a terrible, terrible situation. Verse 26, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. We've already talked about this, but in the, the, the Roman world, generally the idea was if you lose a prisoner, it's, it's your life, right? You, your life is taken. And so He's thinking all of the prisoners have escaped. Not just one, but he thinks all of the prisoners have escaped. And he's like, this is going to be really bad for me. He's probably thinking like, I'm not just going to die. I'm going to die painfully. And so he takes out his sword and he's about to commit suicide to prevent what he imagines is a far worse fate. Paul's going to stop him. Verse 28. Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. I mean, imagine that. They could have all escaped and they didn't. Could have all escaped and they didn't. They, they stayed there. Paul probably somehow convinces everyone else, like, don't leave, don't leave. Verse 29, the jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Right, so the jailer at least has heard the story of what happened, right? He at least knows that, that they're in jail and this is unjust, they didn't do anything wrong. All they did was they give this they gave this slave woman her her freedom from the bondage of demonic oppression, and that made the owners angry. So they lie about Paul and Silas, throw them in jail. All, all of this is going. On. The jailer 
has at least heard the story, right? Because as soon as this happens, he goes and he falls in front of them because he knows what he, they've done. He knows what they've done for this woman. And he, he immediately falls in reverence before them. He's not worshiping them, but he's, he's, he's trembling in fear before them because like essentially they just spared his life by not running away when they could have. He says, what must I do to be saved? This brings up another interesting point. <clears throat> you know, I've heard people say, you know, if you're, if you're ever in a situation like this, then just, you know, bear it for the Lord because the Lord's put you there, right? Just like Paul and Silas did here. Don't, don't run away. Don't escape. Don't do things like that. But then we see also Peter gets released from prison because of the prayers of the saints and the angel, you know, helps him escape essentially. And he goes out, right? And the guards end up dying for it. But people like to take one aspect of this here or there and they like to form a theology around it. And a lot of times we have to be, be very careful about doing that. But some people have said, you know, they've they've seen people do that with the book of Acts, say, well, you know, we should always just stay in jail. You should always just accept whatever situation you've been given, right? Because that's what they did here. And they make kind of a theology around that. And then people are like, well, that's kind of an overreaction because there's other times where an angel sprung them from prison. So that can't always be true. And, and so people have even gone so far as to say, and I think in a reactionary sense, that Acts is a book of history and can't be used to form doctrine from. And that can't be true at all. If that's true, then then we can't form the doctrine that Gentile Gentiles can be Christian, right? If Acts isn't a book of doctrine, then every single Gentile like myself must first convert to Judaism because that's the standard in Scripture before the book of Acts, before that. And and, and so it's it's really a reactionary thing to say that Acts can't be used for Scripture. That's that's really nonsense. I mean, there's too many decisions in Acts where it's very clear that it's it's useful, as Paul says, all scripture is useful for doctrine and, and reproof and correction. Um, Acts is very useful for doctrine, but we have to be careful when we take things and we make very uh, definitive statements like you should just accept the situation or you should run or whatever. This The Holy Spirit is leading and guiding them into different situations at different times. He has Peter escape because there was going to be no surviving for Peter outside of escaping. But in this case, the Lord knew that this jailer, his heart is soft and close in all of this, right? The, the jail, Paul and Silas had to in, endure suffering for this. They got beaten. They were flogged. This was bad. They suffered for the name of the Lord. And the Lord allowed them to go through it for the sake of this jailer and his entire family, as we're going to see. And so there is, there are no two ways to obey the Holy Spirit, to obey the Lord in situations like this. We have to be led by the Holy Spirit. We have to follow the, the leading and guiding of the Lord. We can't make definitive statements like, if you're in a situation, you should just always stay, right? Some people would say, based on this, like if you're in a terrible job or something like that, you just need to stay and continue to witness, right? The boss abuses you, treats you poorly, won't pay you what you do, so you should just stay. Because Paul even talks about, you know, slaves, that, you know, if, if your master is bad and you don't like it, you should work doubly, double hard, right? And so we, we can say that there's aspects of that, but that doesn't, 
necessarily mean that you should stay. I mean, there's times where, yes, maybe the Lord is asking you to stay in this terrible environment because he has purpose for it. But there might be other times where the Lord's like, no, go get a different job. The place is terrible. I don't want you there. Right? So we have to be led by the Lord by those things. So you can't make those kind of definitive statements and, and almost doctrines, dogmas, when scripture itself is not making that. And I've seen people do that. I've seen people do that with things like this. I've seen people react negatively. They, they, they make anti-dogmas, anti-doctrines out of reaction to those kind of overreactions to scripture. Verse 31, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all of his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. I think this is one of the most beautiful stories in the book of Acts. I think this is a moving story in the book of Acts. Because, again... Paul and Silas, they didn't ask for this. This was brought on them. There was really almost nothing they could have done to escape this, but they were, they were severely beaten to where they, they literally have wounds. And even as they've got like open wounds that have not been treated, they're in the stocks. Even in that moment, they're still praying and singing to the Lord. They're filled with hope. They're filled with joy in the most awful situation. And Luke tells us that the other inmates, they're listening to them. I mean, maybe they're like, shut up so we can all go to sleep. It's midnight for crying out loud. But it doesn't say that. It says they're listening. Oh, I think all of these other people in jail are thinking, we saw how you were when you came in here. How, how can you be filled with joy? How can you be doing this? The jailer takes note, note of this. The jailer knows who they are and what they've done, but they, he also notices how they're behaving. And this is not how criminals behave, right? This is not even normal for innocent people to be behaving. I mean, what do innocent people do? They grab the bars, you know, every movie is like, I'm innocent, let me out of here. Right? And they're not doing that. They're worshiping the Lord. Now we're going to see that, that, that Paul even, like, he's not happy about the situation. We're going to see that. Um, like, this is injustice. Paul and Silas, they know it's injustice. We're going to see why they know it's injustice here in the rest of this passage. But still, they're not so overcome with anger and bitterness because of the injustice. They're actually at peace. And that's the sign. That is, is one of the, the things that the Lord actually gives us is supernatural peace because the human response to this would most definitely be anger and bitterness because what's been done to them is horribly unjust. They were lied about and because of those lies, they, they weren't given a trial. They were just beaten and then thrown in jail. And so everyone, it would, be, it would be understandable, it would be natural to respond in anger and bitterness. But the Holy Spirit gives us power to respond differently. We can respond differently. And we can still be upset, 
right? We can still be angry. Anger is just an emotional response. But we can be angry without sinning, without falling into bitterness, without, without being so overcome with this that we can't see anything else. We're going to see that Paul and Silas are doing both. Paul's upset about it. <clears throat> he's a little angry about it. Again, we're going to see that. But, but he's filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And this catches everyone's attention. And this leads to the jailer being saved. And he takes them home. He, he feeds them. He cleans and bandages their wounds. And he and his entire household, they get saved because of this. Paul and Silas had to suffer for this. And I think that the jailer for the rest of his life is going to understand that if Paul and Silas hadn't endured that beating and come into his jail, he would not have been saved, he and his whole family. He's going to carry that with him the entire rest of his life. He and his entire family. He's going to tell the story that if Paul and Silas had not been falsely accused, beaten, and come into their presence, none of them would have been saved. I think, like I said, I think he's going to carry that with him the rest of his life. Verse 35, when it was daylight, the magistrates sent to their officers, to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer, jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. So you can see here, Paul's upset. Paul's angry, right? He's now he's coming to the point where they're, you know, they did this. And even if they weren't Roman citizens, this is not how things should have gone, right? You should have a trial. You should do all these kinds of things, even if they weren't Roman citizens. But as being Roman citizens, the magistrates, the people that did this, they can get in serious trouble for this. They can get in, like they can actually lose their positions in some circumstances, even lose their lives over not following the, the legal process and procedure here. And Paul knows that. Paul understands that. He's like, you're sending messengers to escort us out? We are Roman citizens. You come yourself and you escort us out. You know you've done wrong. They did wrong even if they weren't Roman citizens. But if they, if they weren't Roman citizens, they weren't going to get in trouble for it. This was illegal the way that they processed this. But if they weren't Roman citizens, there would be no repercussions for them. But because they are Roman citizens, there could be serious repercussions for this. We'll see this again later in Acts, just how this plays out. Verse 38, the officers reported to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting that they leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. All right, they come to Paul and Silas and they're like, oh my gosh, we did not know you're Roman citizens. Please, please, please don't like tell our superiors. Don't tell anybody about this. Please, we, we beg your forgiveness, right? They are coming to appease them in any way possible because the repercussions that could come on them for what they had done because they were Roman citizens were very, very serious, right? And Paul, again, we can have both. We can have anger, and we can have joy. We can have anger and we can have peace. And we see that Paul is, is, is experiencing both of those things, right? 
anger is just a natural response. Anger is, I heard it said, and I think this is kind of accurate. Anger is like our body's response to emotional injustice or whatever is the same as pain is to us being physically injured, right? You can't not feel pain if you've been physically injured. Feeling anger is a very natural response to experiencing injustice or something like this. Jesus makes it very clear. It's like, in your anger, don't sin, right? We can, we can foment our anger to where it becomes something bad, but, but being angry is not necessarily bad. And in this case, Paul and Silas have suffered a serious injustice and he's, he is angry about it. But in no way, at least what we see here written for us, in no way does he sin. In fact, in the midst of anger, he refuses to foment that anger into bitterness and, and hatred. He actually turns it into peace and joy and people get saved because of it. But then when these we, these wicked men who have done terrible things to them come and are like, yeah, y'all can go. Just get out of here. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm calling in my Roman citizenship card here because you guys did bad. Now he calls them on it. You can do both, right? You can do both. It's okay to call people on, on their wrongdoing. You don't have to just be a doormat and lay down for the sake of the gospel, but we should have peace because of the gospel. We should have peace because of what Jesus has done in our lives. And we see here that Paul and Silas, they experience both simultaneously. That's possible with the, the hope and the love of Jesus living in our hearts. For the 10-week Bible study, I'm your host, Aaron Hibbs, and I can't wait to see you next time. Hey, thanks for tuning into the 10-Week Bible Study Podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, would you consider leaving a review for it on your podcast app of choice? It really helps other people find out about this podcast, and my heart is for people to fall in love with God's Word. Thank you.